Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. So if you need batteries for your truck, batteries for your trail cameras, TV remote controls, flashlights, you name it, Interstate Batteries has what you need. They have thousands of retail locations all over the United States. So stop in, talk to a battery specialist, or for more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. My name is Clay Newcomb, and I'm the host of the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. I'll also be your host into the world of hunting the icon of North American wilderness, the bear. We'll talk about tactics, gear, conservation, but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet, Chasing Bear. You know, those, uh, the bear hunters were sports stars of their era. You know, they, they were mm. the, they were the You writing this down, Colby? Of, you know, I'm committed to memory. This is, this is good. This is what <laughs> yeah. I've been living for the moment when somebody like Dr. Brooks Blevins said that bear star. hunters were the sports stars of the 1800s. Yeah. And, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they. In my humble opinion, this podcast is one of the neatest that we've ever done. We went up to Missouri State University in Springfield, Missouri, and met with Dr. Brooks Blevins, who is the national expert and historian on the Ozarks, which have a rich history in bear hunting. And we discuss all kinds of stuff revolving around the history of the Ozarks, how people got here, how they utilized the land, how uh, regional identity was built, and we talked a ton about bear hunting. So you're going to enjoy this podcast. A couple things that we got to cover. The bad news some bad news is, is that the Ozark Black Bear Bonanza has been postponed. 
We don't know exactly when it's going to be rescheduled, but we are going to do this event. And as you guys would know, it's related to the COVID-19 coronavirus uh, outbreak that's happened. So you'll hear more from us about that event in the future. People that bought tickets, their money has been refunded. Stand by, because that is going to happen. And lastly, hey, check out our friends, our buddies, our comrades at W Hunting Supply for all of your hound or dog-related needs, Garmin-related needs. Check out the guys and gals at W Hunting Supply for anything and everything you would need. And spring bear season comes closer and closer. Northwoods Bear Products, best commercial bear scents on the market. We've used them for years. And if you're if you're hunting over bait, you need to be using some Northwoods. You're going to enjoy this podcast with Dr. Brooks Blevins. A lot of old-time Missouri people say Missouri. Uh, well, that's a great place to start. We're we are at Missouri State. Right. My my natural inclination is to say Missouri, but you say a lot of old older people. You say Missouri. Yeah, a lot of old timers still say Missouri. I, I remember when I was a kid, even in Ar- growing up in Arkansas, I can remember a lot of people would would pronounce it Missouri. Yeah, uh, but that's. Uh, you don't hear that near as much anymore, and in Missouri, it's become kind of a way to identify being older from folks. Here. Yeah, older folks okay. from maybe rural areas. You know, okay. people in St. Louis or Missouri. Kansas City or even Springfield aren't. Yeah, they're not going to say Missouri. That sounds too uh, backwoods, backwoods to them. But uh, but yeah. So, but I've I've always said Missouri. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Well. You you guys are hearing the voice of Dr. Brooks Blevins. Man, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. I'm glad uh, to do it. Yeah. Well, I, I've looked forward to this conversation for a long time. I've thought for a long time that it would be cool to come up here and talk to you. And I finally was just like, man, I'm going to send this guy an email. Also, I've got Colby Moorhead with me. Yep. Colby's going to chime in with some good with some good questions. Oh, yeah. Thought-provoking. So... Now, you can tell me about your kind of your academic history. So we're at Missouri State University. Yeah. You are a professor here at Missouri right. State. Right. And are you, and you can just tell me the truth, are you one of the lead historians for the Ozarks in in these time in this time period? I mean, because you've, you've certainly written a lot of books, and I'll, and I'll get to the, some of the books that you've written about the Ozarks and about. Right. Uh, yeah, I think. I think for the most part, I would be considered the the leading historian of the Ozarks. Okay. Uh, if for no other reason, I've just written a lot more stuff than anybody else yeah. has. I've been a lot busier than anybody else. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, but yeah, I I think uh, I think that's probably a true uh, statement. A true statement. And, and yeah. that's what that's what I assume just because of all the books that you have. Now I've I've read two of your books. Mm-hmm. How many books have you written? Hmm. I uh, well, eight or nine, somewhere okay. in that in that territory. Uh, I've written. Uh, I guess over half of them have been on the Ozarks, hmm. and uh, I'm I'm currently 
writing a trilogy on the history of the Ozarks, and I'm working on the third volume right now. The first two volumes yeah. are out. The first one's all pre-Civil War. Second one's the Civil War era, and then the third one will bring it into the 21st century. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, that's been my big project and I've been telling people like, I've been working on this for years, mm. uh, for seven or eight years. And my thing lately is, uh, I may completely change fields when this is over. That's, a, <laughs> yeah. that's way too much Ozarks for anybody, uh, even a guy who's made his career writing about the history of the Ozarks. But but yeah. I, I enjoy it. I, I'm a native of the Ozarks, and yeah. so it, it has a lot of personal meaning for me. Yeah. It seems like uh, maybe I'm just paying attention more, but it seems like the Ozarks are coming up more on a national scale. Uh just like uh and, and this is like totally pop culture stuff, but like the 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 T V show, the Ozarks with mm-hmm. what's his name? Jason uh, Bateman. Jason Bateman. Yeah. And I, man, I'm gonna ruin my reputation in the bear hunting world. I do not watch the Grammys, okay? I don't watch the Grammys. I did I. see a highlight clip when Brad Pitt, when he won a <clears throat> Grammy just like two months ago. An Oscar. 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 Okay, yeah. good. I just proved that's my how point. Informed we are. That, yeah. well, good. that just proved my point. Right, that I don't yeah. pay attention to that stuff. Yeah. But I, that's it, the only clip I saw. Okay, yeah. good. You saw it too. Okay. Yeah. Well, he 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 uh he he thanked his parents who were back in the Ozarks. Yeah. And I was like I was like fist pumping. Right. I was like, yeah, man, we're getting yeah. some recognition from yeah. you know, and we're, pop and, culture. Yeah, and we're here in his hometown, Springfield. Yeah. yeah. See, I didn't even realize that. Yeah. yeah. But, it it, it just those are just a few examples, but but I think even in the national scene, so we're, you know, you don't know much about us, but you know, Bear Hunting Magazine is the only print bear hunting magazine in the world. We've been in print for twenty years, huh. and yeah. so seven years ago, we, you know, the world headquarters of Bear Hunting Magazine, which you're you're looking at it right here, okay. me and Colby, okay. <laughs> we we. Now, I've always been in Northwest Arkansas, but the business moved to Northwest Arkansas. Yeah. And so for a lot of people, that was a strange transition for the epicenter of the black bear hunting space to be located. Yeah. Uh, you know, we in in uh but we have this like immense and rich history with black bears, you know, aside from the hunting aspect of it, just the from the ecological aspect of bears being in the Ozarks and just this being their natural historic range. I mean, it's just this incredible animal. And and with that incredible animal comes all this incredible history. So there's been this like resurgence of the idea of the Ozarks being a a place to hunt bear. And and a lot of that happened and it's really happened in the last 20 years as bear populations have increased in the Ozarks. And so the hunting regulations have liberalized in order to, you know, manage bear populations. So all of a sudden guys are able to hunt bears in a, in a, in a more, in a fashion where they can actually harvest them and kind of liberalize, liberalize the seasons a little bit. And so all of a sudden the Ozarks are on the national radar for bears. Yeah. And I I think that's cool. Yeah. It's, and you're right. I, I, uh, I'll admit I, I didn't know that uh, they were on the the national bear radar until yeah. until today. But uh, but yeah, you know one of the things I've noticed through the years is uh, you know regions sort of 
come into vogue and then they slip back into the background, they come back and it's kind of a cyclical thing. And, you know, if you go back to the sixties and seventies, the Ozarks and the, the 1960s and seventies, the Ozarks were really hot. You had mm. the Beverly Hillbillies and you had all these folk festivals going on or, around the region. And there was a lot of stuff. Uh, the Ozark mountain daredevils, you know, one of my, my favorite yeah, bands from yeah. the seventies and a lot of stuff. And then the region sort of disappeared and then it, and then, and I think you're exactly right. In the just in the last uh, decade, it's it's really made a comeback uh, on on TV and the movie Winter's Bone, uh, a, a terrific novel and and movie that came out a few years ago, set set in the sort of meth cooking uh, mm. element of, of the Ozarks, and and uh, and so I think uh, you know this this resurgence of bear hunting and interest in in bear hunting is is perfect and uh and at least as far as i'm concerned there's no better headquarters than than the ozarks for that from the history yeah. the from the history that i know about that's uh, yeah. that's a pretty perfect place for it well the the first book that i read of yours i've got it right here in my hand is uh it's t- well it's titled arkansas and there's two two ways to spell it on the title arkansas the historical way that ends with an S right. and then Arkansas spelled with a W at the end. The way we all say it. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. We yeah. don't say Arkansas. We say yeah. Arkansas with so, a W. Yeah. And yeah. then the tagline, and this is what, man, you had me at this, which it may have been, the, I may be the only person that ever read this book. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> how bear hunters, hillbillies, and good old boys define the state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, I can see how that that subtitle would get you. Yeah, oh, it, 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 it hooked me hard, man. Yeah. It hooked me hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that's really what I want to talk about is yeah. like uh, is how you know I'm interested in how sp- me specifically how hunting culture influences a region. Yeah, you know because I think what's happening inside of modern hunting is we're trying to redefine our relevance. You know, I mean, with a lot of things that happen, urbanization, people being disconnected from the land, disconnected from where they came from, um, anti-hunting sentiment, Mm -hmm. people just not understanding the culture. People are people are disconnected. So as hunters, it's kind of like we're we're trying to say we know we're relevant. We know what we're doing is beneficial for wildlife, beneficial for economies, beneficial for non-game animals that we're not hunting because of funding for wildlife that we're trying to protect. So all these amazing benefits that come from modern hunting, but we're trying to like carve out our relevance in a modern time. And so when I look at a statement like that, how bear hunters, hillbillies and good old boys defined a state, like I think really what I'm trying to do is I'm, 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 I'm curious about how other parts of my life and I told you right before we started this that I'm a seventh generation Arkansan. My kids are eighth generation. Uh, you know, we we've really been hunters all the way through, yeah. and and I'm I'm trying to figure out where hunting has influenced my life in maybe ways that I don't even understand. You know, right, uh, right. And uh, yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think there's a lot to that. As you were talking, I I was thinking about. Uh, a lot of things that have happened just in the 21st century, the, these sort of revivals. And in a way, I think what you're talking about is sort of a hunting revival yeah. in, in a sense. And yeah. I think about these, uh, you know, this this <clears throat> fad for 
what you call it, axe throwing or whatever, right. yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah, whatever yeah, this yeah. thing is. And, and, and a lot of these, uh, and and I think there's there. Well, I know there's here in the you know twenty years into the twenty first century. There there's a renewed interest in going back to the land amongst uh, a, yeah. you know a younger generation again. And I think a lot of that is a reaction to the fact that our society is so urbanized and it's modernized and it's it's gotten farther away from. Uh, that you know that past that many of us probably romanticized to a certain degree that yeah. that sort of that sort of hunting uh, and and farming close to the land past that people are trying to reconnect with and sometimes yeah. it's people who've who've been away from the land for a generation or two and they feel some sort of I don't I don't want some sort of emptiness or some sort of yeah. vacuum that that needs to be filled by by making contact with the land whether that's you know growing their own food or right. killing their own food or 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 whatever that is so i i, th- I think it's all part of a what well, I, I call it uh part of the primitivist spirit and okay. i don't want to get you know too too far into uh lengthy words here but but i I, I, Do I, I think i think primitivism is a i think it's a, it's a very strong uh force in in human society especially in civilized human society that extends well beyond this kind of stuff it's in religion and politics and all that kind of stuff mm. it's it's a desire to reconnect with your origins in a mm. very real uh you know just a very hands in the dirt sort of sort of way and i and i think this is, is that this, a is that a feature of a really modern prosperous society do you, you I, see yeah, what I'm I think it, i think it is because yeah. i mean like yeah. the people back in the 1800s that were farming and bear hunting like you said we romanticize that so much they yeah. sure as heck weren't trying to reconnect with their past they're trying to get yeah. away from it they, is that's that right a, that's exactly right i mean that's yeah. that's that's the insight right there it's it it is it comes from a place of security and sometimes wealth and comfort uh and before we started we were talking about that german explorer one of my favorites uh, gerstecker and gerstecker was an he was an example of that because he came from middle class german society right. in a place that he thought had become too soft yeah. and where people had become specialized you know one of the things that he 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 marveled about when he came to places like arkansas is how many skills that these pioneer settlers had mm-hmm. that he said it would take a, an entire village in Germany where he was from to do what one person could do mm. himself in, in pioneer Arkansas. And, and he was, uh, Gersticker was very much a romantic. That's why he yeah. was in America in the first place. He was trying to get away from yeah. that middle-class sort of what we might call white bread you know, suburban existence. Uh, they didn't have mm-hmm. suburbs back then, I guess. But, yeah, yeah, but you yeah. know what I'm talking about. That kind yeah. of that kind of soul sapping. You know, homogenous so existence. That in yeah. the 1800s. Yeah, and and you're right that people in Arkansas, the people he came into contact with, they weren't thinking about that kind of stuff because they're they're surviving. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're out uh, growing their stuff and hunting to survive, and and it's only a few generations later that that the Ozarks that Arkansas advances 
to a prosperous enough level where all of a sudden people who are born and raised in Arkansas or born and raised in the Ozarks are now looking back and saying, you know, in, in a very romantic way and saying, you know, maybe we the, maybe those were the good old days or mm-hmm. may, even if they weren't, maybe we've lost something fundamental to what it means to be a human when yeah. when we uh, when we move to the suburbs and track housing and and start living yeah. like everybody else and, and buying all of our groceries at the store mm-hmm. and 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 so I that uh, you're exactly right that that sort of backward looking primitivist romantic streak it only happens in in prosperous comfortable yeah. societies yeah. where we kind well, of forget kind of about nice it. when we can have both worlds. Like yeah, we're, when, when yeah, I can, that's right. And that's really my life. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, you know, I'd live a really normal, probably middle-class life, Yeah, but I have this other side where we, we live in the country. We have mules, we have chickens, we bear hunt, we mm. eat a lot of wild game. And so I'm able to live that part of my life kind of as much as I want yeah. to, but then right. have running water and yeah. Have, you know vaccinations it's a, it's the best of both worlds <laughs> yeah. and i mean it, it, yeah. it, it, it kind of it it sort of makes you feel bad for your ancestors you know <laughs> that they that they uh were i mean they were doing a lot of the stuff that we sort of play at you know that we sort of recreate out of necessity yeah yeah and uh so it's it's a nice luxury to have in this modern world, at least for now, you know, yeah. unless something goes south in a hurry, yeah. uh, then, you know, we've, uh, yeah, we've, we've got it pretty good, I think. Yeah. yeah. Will you give me just like a general overview of the history of the Ozarks? And I know that's a loaded question. I mean, all the way back, I mean, all the way back from like, uh, I guess just a general overview of, of like Native American influence and then, you know, European settlement. And then ultimately where I want to get to is I want to talk about bear hunting. Yeah. Because yeah, uh, cool. there's a there's a ton of stories in here that talked about bear hunters from, you know, the Methodist preacher near Batesville that stopped his service. Yeah, good old Eli. Yeah, yeah, yeah stopped his service. <laughs> Did I ever tell you that? No. Stopped his service to... When he heard a bear race, he was yeah. preaching, and he heard a he heard hounds running a bear up on the mountain. Yeah, yeah. And he he stopped his service, and all the men saddled up their horses, and they chased down the, the race, killed a bear, came back, and yeah. he said, "Thank God for fast horses and women that can pray or something like <laughs> yeah, that." Yeah, I think I think it was. Of course, it's probably completely made up. Whatever you say, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, the the line I think was. Uh, uh, thank the Lord for men who know how to shoot and women who know how to pray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they, you know, they, they. I guess they they brought the bear back uh, mm-hmm. with them after after yeah. it was all said and done. But yeah, a good old Eli Lindsay was his name. And I think he was Lindsay. probably a teenager at that time, but he yeah. he was a guy who. So that was a true yeah. story, though. I mean, it was it was told as a true story. It was told as a true story, and uh, one of the things you learn as a historian that even things that are passed down through oral tradition that are told as true stories. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Yeah, you you take them with a grain of salt. They're yeah. great, they're great stories, and that's why they survive. Yeah, yeah. But they're but certainly, 
in the Arkansas of those days, in the very in the very early 1800s, that very well could Sounds have happened, legit. and it probably did happen. Yeah. So we'll, I'm particularly yeah, we'll go with interested that. in that story because my grandmother's maiden name was Lindsay. Yeah. Just oh, saying. So could it, be. Could, it could have been like yeah. my could be know. the kin folks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the uh, the 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 sort of you know Cliff's Notes version of yeah. of, of Ozark's history. Uh, the when the first Europeans got to uh, the Mississippi Valley, the middle of North America, the there really were no uh, Native Americans living uh, most places in the Ozarks, and that's part really? of what part of what made it such a wonderland of wildlife in those early mm. days. The late seventeen hundreds, yeah. It, well, the, the uh, mid, uh, even early seventeen hundreds, mid seventeen hundreds. The the Osages were the ones who were sort of the overlords of uh, most of the Ozarks. If you got way down in the southeastern part of the region, the Quapaws might, you know, be kind of, they they use that for hunting ground. But for the most part, the very powerful, uh, scary Osages, and they were, and by scary, I mean, they their, their own native neighbors were usually scared of them. They were mm-hmm. the most powerful nation okay. or tribe, really in, in, in much of the central part of what's now the United States. And they, for the most part, lived on the very northwestern corner of the Ozarks, all the way over into Kansas. Okay, and they lived mainly on uh, on the prairie. And then they would periodically come down and hunt bear and deer and elk and buffalo and all that kind of stuff mm. down to the Ozarks. Mm. And so the the French are the first to show up, and they show up and they start settling in the Mississippi Valley in the early seventeen hundreds. The Mississippi River or come they actually, down? the first ones actually came down from, from, from Canada. Bay and from yeah, Canada. And, and yeah. it came down that way. And uh and by you know, by seventeen hundreds, uh, early seventeen hundreds, they're starting to pilfer around into the into the hills a little bit. Uh, because of the lead, uh, lead was the big mm. thing. There were all kinds of lead deposits uh, in in different places in the Ozarks, and that got them to coming in. and And then a lot of the French also uh, got into hunting and trapping and, and things like that. But the the American settlers, the ones coming from uh, east of the Mississippi, who were U.S. citizens, uh, really don't start coming over until the 1790s. Right, and uh, and of course this. Uh, where we are now here in the Ozarks and, and most of the uh, country west of the Mississippi was Spanish territory at that time. It had originally been French territory uh, with the uh, the war, the Seven Years' War that that we and the United States often call the French and Indian War okay. in the 1750s and 60s. The territory got switched over to Spain, so it was Spanish territory. The Spanish government started inviting American settlers to come into their territory because mm. almost no Spaniards actually came over here. Mm. And they were just trying to get people to settle, get farming and commerce to going and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And so that's when it really starts. And then after the Louisiana Purchase in 1803, uh, the the officials in St. Louis raised the, the U.S. flag in 1804, and there just starts to be a flood of now, that's when coming it really in. became a ter- Missouri territory, Missouri, Arkansas territory. Yeah, yeah. At first, it was it was it was uh, all Louisiana, and okay, then eventually okay. they broke off Missouri, and then Arkansas was broken off uh, from yeah. from Missouri territory. Uh, but these are settlers coming from, for the most part, they're coming from Tennessee, Kentucky, the Carolinas, Virginia, 
they're they tend to come from the upland areas of the south back like in southern the southern Appalachians. Apple, you know, the greater Appalachian area. Some of them from the mountains, some of them from the foothills and the plateaus yeah. and stuff like that. And many of them are attracted to the Ozarks because they can recreate the life they had back in Tennessee or Kentucky or Virginia with very little alteration at all. The Ozarks in many ways is just a smaller, why, why shorter would they version. Leave? Why would they leave? Just well, it's uh, cheaper land. Get I mean, just yeah. It, uh, any number of reasons. One of the reasons is a lot of these people, it seems crazy to us now in the early 21st century, but a lot of people thought it was getting overcrowded back east. Okay. You okay. know, yeah, now that <laughs> yeah. there are, yeah. you know, there are 8,000 people within uh, 40 miles of us, so let's get out of here. But yeah, yeah, that, yeah. And, and so, but for, for their purposes in, uh, in the kind of agriculture, that they practiced, you had to have a lot of land because yeah, in in a lot of places in the Ozarks, a lot of places in Appalachia, the dirt's not very good, mm-hmm. and it's it's hilly, and you know the Washitals are the same way. There it, there's a lot more slope than there is flat yeah. anywhere, yeah. and so you needed big sections of land. When the land opens up in the Ozarks, uh, it's you know it it's. They can do to the them, same thing over here that they did yeah. there, and so they just bring their lifeways with them. Uh, that includes hunting, and I've seen I've seen a lot of stories of people who immigrated to the Ozarks specifically for the hunting. People who mm. were primarily hunters or primarily interested in hunting back in Tennessee or Kentucky or wherever they were. As humans started really populating those areas pretty heavily, the 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 wildlife populations diminish yeah. significantly and before long it's a lot harder to to hunt it's yeah. a lot harder to to find what you're trying to uh, to hunt and so uh, yeah i've seen i've seen letters of of early settlers who who write to people who have already settled in Arkansas or Missouri like or somewhere. How's the hunting? Yeah, yeah. What, and, Same thing and, we asked today when we yeah. talked to somebody from another place. <laughs> yeah, how's yeah. the hunting? That's right. Yeah. And and, uh, and and then you get uh, you get a lot of these uh, uh, what I call come here letters. And uh, when people move from back in the east somewhere and they they move to the Ozarks and they write back home and say, you got to come here. You, you, you won't believe what all is here. And a lot of that is about – the the plentiful, especially in those early days, the plentiful wildlife that's here, yeah. and uh, and so that so those are the people who end up, you know, populating the Ozarks before the Civil War in the early eighteen hundreds, and those those people moving primarily from Tennessee and Kentucky and places like that are the ones who become the early bear hunters. Yeah. That so much of Arkansas's pre Civil War lore was was based around. Yeah. yeah. Was that was that something that was based around like economics back then? You know, like wildlife equated to to some value, or maybe like <clears throat> like today, maybe it would be diversifying your portfolio of something to where it's like, well, if we don't have good ground and a good crop this at this season, we'll have plentiful game. You know, would it be something like that? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point because uh, a lot of those those earliest settlers uh, they weren't just about having that as a sideline that was their main line they were that's market that's what they hunters, did they right? were they were market hunters and, and one of the things that that a lot of people don't realize because we have these sort of i think romanticized notions of the frontier and we think of family units moving in mom and dad and all the kids and all and maybe you know going out if if you're running low on food going out and and killing a deer or something like that but 
there were tons of market hunters who came in here in the very, very early days when Henry Rowe Schoolcraft, uh, a New Yorker, a young a greenhorn New Yorker who almost died uh, on the Ozarks frontier because he he didn't know how to hunt mm-hmm. and didn't you know didn't know one weapon from another or anything mm-hmm. like that. It got so bad. He and his his buddy uh, Levi Pettibone, who was another New Yorker, and they they had come. They were actually here scouting out minerals. They were looking mm-hmm. for lead and, and stuff like that. Mm. And it got so bad on their trip through through the Ozarks in in eighteen uh, eighteen eighteen nineteen that they were uh, they were roasting acorns. Mm-hmm. Uh, for their uh, to to survive on, yeah. and they finally paid somebody to kill them a deer. Is that and, right? Uh, and but what he found uh, a schoolcraft, and he was an educated guy. Right, uh, he, he, he did a lot of the writing that came out of the yeah, early Ozarks. That's right. Yeah, I was going to actually ask you about him. Yeah, yeah. He 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 helped uh, kind of frame what people thought of, of people in the early Ozarks and in Arkansas, and uh, it wasn't always good. Yes, but uh, but but. But Schoolcraft estimated that there were probably, at the time he was here, 1818, 1819, that era, there were probably a thousand market hunters living in the White River Valley alone at that time. So almost everyone. They were market hunters. Right. Mm -hmm. Almost all of the non-natives who were living in the greater, uh, probably more like the White River watershed instead of the valley, uh, were, were hunters. And they were... Uh, and they would, you know, he even described not in, not in uh, his most famous uh, book about his journey through the Ozarks, but he wrote another book about the lead mines in, in Missouri, which is actually why he came here. And he talked about mm. uh, these uh, these hunters who would congregate, you know, on, on White River and uh, and would build rafts and send down just big rafts full of, of hides and and bear meat grease. And, and, all, and bear <laughs> grease and all and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it was. Uh, I mean, it's not the frontier that we sometimes think of, where everybody's just eking out a living. These were people who were who were making money. That's how off they of made this. A that's, that's what that's yeah. what they were. Hides, that's what they meat, were doing here. Yeah. Bear fat. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, are you were, familiar yeah. with the with the idea that by the time Europeans started to settle in this part of the world that Native American populations were really high pre-European settlement, and they, like, like there was a time, this is all new to me, mm-hmm. but, like, there was a time period when there were maybe 12 to even as much as somebody said 18 million Native Americans pre-European settlement, yeah. and then something happened before we even got here that killed them off. Right, and right. And wildlife populations dramatically increased so that like what Lewis and Clark and what all these guys said or saw in terms of numbers of wildlife was actually an quote unquote, an artifact, like a not a true representation of the way it had been for thousands of years. Is that a fair way to describe it? Yeah, I think that uh, that's that's definitely true. Of course, is that true? I mean, yeah, we we don't uh, we don't know all the details because there's there's so little written record from that era but we, but we do know that uh that disease wreaked havoc on native populations wherever Europeans and and Africans went you know the people who had through 
you know, generations and generations right. built up certain immunities to, to things that, that the natives had no immunity to. It, it depends on what historian you read, and, and yeah. we just don't know. But but some have estimated that as many as 90% of the native population died off in these uh, pandemics, yeah. uh, one of our key words for, yeah, you know, for yeah. today, uh, that... And 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 it happened in a way that most Europeans weren't even aware of, well, because, because it, it, it happened out of their sight. You know, it just spread as you and know. It took place over hundreds of years too. I mean, yeah, like yeah. Ponce de Leon right. got to Florida in fifteen thirteen. The right, only reason right. I know that is because like yesterday I read something about yeah, that. Yeah, but I mean, he was. Am I right in saying he was pretty much the first? He's yeah. He's early fifteen hundred Spanish and, explorer, and, and so by yeah. The 1800s, I mean, that's 300 years right. of white folks being here bringing all kinds of disease. Yeah, we, well, we know uh, the, first, uh, the, the first European exploratory crew to come through, you know, near this neck of the woods, uh, DeSoto, uh, DeSoto's people, in, later in the 1500s. Right, right. Uh, we know there were many more natives in this part of America than there were basically 150 years later or oh, okay. more when the french start coming in it's you know it's it's just and that it, affected wildlife populations i get that's yeah, that's where yeah, i'm going with it thinking right. about market yeah. hunters being here and be able to make a, a thousand market hunters in the white river drainage being able to make a living and you saying that there weren't hardly there were very few natives here comparatively yeah, yeah. you think you think about even when you know when the when the french first show up around 1700 or so and make contact with the Osages, uh, you know, there, there may be 10,000 Osages and they're, they're the big dogs in the middle of the, I mean, you know, you're talking, it's just a small town of people now, but, uh, but that's, that's how few of these Mm. people were, there were. And, and even the, you know, the people that the Europeans found were likely, uh, the remnants of, you know, these mass die-offs were of years there more, earlier. Though here, I mean, like, because were, were there more Native Americans here at another time? I guess, I guess that. Oh yeah, I'm there, asking the question yeah, yeah, that there, I just yeah, answered. Yeah, there, there would have been. Uh, yeah, and of course, you know, there's all kinds of evidence around the Ozarks uh, yeah. of of Native American occupation. It's just pre- what we consider prehistoric uh, before we have written. You know, evidence really? for okay. uh, for the era. Yeah. Said that way. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's not how everyone uses the term, but in in, in history, we we often say uh, prehistory, prehistoric is before there was uh, written yeah. knowledge of a of and an we area. We pretty much started recording stuff in the fifteen hundreds. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, I mean, here here, right? here here in the Americas. Here. Yeah, yeah. The, and uh, so so certainly there were a lot more and. Uh, and that obviously had a, had a major, well, you think about if, if 90% of us were to die off 150 years from now, you know, how different the place would look. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, so yeah, that, that had a major influence on, on making the Ozarks, especially a place like the White River Valley, just this Mecca for, for hunters, for wildlife. Yeah. How did you, how did, so now we're, we're up to speed with 
hunters being here, market hunters. Right. We're in the eight. We're in the early eighteen hundreds now. Um, how did so in your book? You know how bear hunters and hillbillies defined the state. Talk to just talk to me about yeah. that. Yeah, well, I think probably more than any other person in the pre-Civil War Ozarks, and especially in Arkansas, because because Arkansas tended to be more associated with bears than Missouri. Uh, a, a part of that, I think, was the Boston Mountains are in Arkansas, and that was that was good bear territory. Yeah, the you know places like the Buffalo River Valley, the White River Valley. Yeah, there was just more good bear habitat. Uh, down it there, just, it's than, just more than, rugged down there. Yeah, yeah, so it's, it's just it's more hillier. Yeah, it's easier to. Uh, it's you know more remote even today, and and so, but but I think you know those uh, the bear hunters were they were the they were the sports stars of their era. You know they they were mm-hmm. the they were the heroes. Down, Colby. Of, you know I'm committed to memory. This, this, is, this is good. This is what <laughs> yeah. I've been living for the moment when somebody like Dr. Brooks Blevins <laughs> said that bear hunters were the sports stars of the 1800s. Yeah. And and uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean they 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 were sort of the the local celebrities. They right, right. they were uh they, you know people who because of course many of them ended up in personal combat not by right, choice right. occasionally by crazy choice but uh but but there was there was something about bear hunters that sort of made them at the, at the top of the list if you were a little boy growing up in the ozarks in the 1830s or 40s that's probably who you idolized yeah. was was someone who was a bear hunter and that's who you told stories about and uh but it was you know it, it was a very kind of hyper masculine thing to yeah. to go out there and uh uh to take your dogs and and uh to hunt down you know the biggest baddest animals in in the back country and and sometimes hem them up in caves and go in go in after yeah. them and and that kind of stuff and of course there are there are stories of of uh of men killing bears in close combat with their knives and and and, and stuff a, a like that of, a lot of documentation yeah of yeah a ton of it and yeah it uh made bear basically they used a lot of hounds you right know, they, yeah and yeah. they used we can't use hounds in arkansas anymore for running big game but uh they would they would go in with their bowie knives and mm-hmm. finish off bears that were being yeah. made on the ground by by with dogs yeah. and then the other thing you mentioned which I think this will blow people's minds. It, it blew mine when I learned about it. But but they would they would hunt these bears in the dens. Yeah. And yeah. So that in the wintertime, they would find a bear den. And, and right. again, the, right now, to go out in the Ozarks and find a bear den would be a pretty tough deal. But right. if there were 50,000 bears in Arkansas, which was kind of the pre-European number biologists throw around yeah. that you know, of population, yeah. I've been on several bear den trips with Arkansas Game and Fish. And you can you can usually tell a bear den. Um, I mean, you could spot one just because they come in and out of them even during yeah. the winter. And like, yeah. like, so the idea that because when I first heard that, I was like, well, how did how did they find a bear den? But these guys would go into bear dens with lit uh, pine kindling. Mm-hmm. They called them. I can't remember what they used to call it, kindlers or something. Yeah, I, or, I would call it a, a, pine a torch knot. or something. Yeah, yeah, and. Crawl yeah. into these dens yeah. and shoot a bear back in a cave. 
in these yeah. limestone caves. Yeah, just crazy. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't it sound crazy? Uh, but yeah, I mean, and part of it too is we know that there have been pretty pretty serious climatic changes since the 19th century. The 19th century yeah. was uh, was a comparably cold century uh, for, for much of yes. North America. And what you find in a lot of those stories of, of pre-Civil War bear hunts is they're tracking them through the snow. And, mm. and, and so it's reasonable to think that there, there probably was more denning up of bears and, you know, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, 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 the weather was colder. There were a lot more snows and, yeah. and, and, and it, it's pretty amazing how many of these uh, stories are, you know, their, their hunting techniques were tracking stuff through the snow, you know, which is, I, see. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, yeah. you know, if, if you're, if you're going to make it easier on yourself, that's one of the easier things to do is just uh, track things through a, a fresh snow. Yeah, and so, so you see that, that a lot. Snow anymore. No, I mean, we, you know, it's been, uh, it's been years since we've had a, had a decent snow that you could track no anything kidding. through. No kidding. But, uh, but, but, you know, that's another thing that's, that's changed uh, since those early days, you, you, you know, we just don't, we don't have the same climate patterns or, yeah. or, or something that, that they did then a lot more bears, good bear habitat. And, uh, you know, it, the, uh, and as we talked about, so many of those bear hunters were, were market hunters. Uh, they weren't just, you know, uh, grandpa Joe who decided, they you know, some, two some, bears some Tuesday, life. yeah, to, to go out, you know, looking looking for bears. Uh, people kind of s- stayed in their own lanes even back in those days when that was concerned. And and you find plenty of stories of of people taking out, you know, tenderfoots or, or greenhorns, yeah, or, yeah. and then having fun with them. Yeah. I, I know one of the stories I was reading recently in in Turnbow's book, which is a which is just a what's the know, name great of that book? book for people? It's uh, I've got it. Yeah, Ruffle. it's. Uh, the White River Chronicles of S.C. Turnbow, Man and Wildlife on the Ozarks Frontier. And it's just, yeah. just full of uh, bear hunt stories and panther stories and all that kind of stuff. And one of my favorites was the the uh, the two seasoned bear hunters who take a, a greenhorn out and they get they get off ahead of him. They they kill about a half grown bear and shove him back up in the fork of a tree mm. and then the greenhorn comes up and they, they spot the bear and he shoots him numerous times and the, and the bear just lays there. And, he, and <laughs> of course he's thinking he's a, he's a terrible shot or something, yeah, something's yeah. going on. And, and it finally he gets close enough to see his, his tongue hanging out. And the guy says, I'm going to make him think stick his tongue out and, you know, takes another shot at him and finally they get up close enough and, and uh, I'm sure have have a great laugh at at, at his expense. He's been shooting a dead <laughs> dead bear. Of course, that probably didn't do wonders for the hide. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Uh, but you know, it's you know it 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 is uh, uh, bear hunting was just just you know, a central part of that culture. I, I kind of you know my original question. I kind of re derailed you there. Was how did it influence the culture? And what you said makes a lot of sense. Like today we are, you know, nobody's market hunting for bears. These guys would have killed hundreds of bears in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. I oh, mean, yeah. and, and we, we know a lot of guys that are very into bear hunting and, you know, 
if a guy's killed 20 bears in modern times, that's, you know, he's killed quite a few bears. Most yeah. people hadn't killed that many. But, I mean, these guys, and I'm thinking about the way it would influence a culture. This would be your neighbors. This would be your uncles. This would yeah. be your father. If they were a market hunter, may have killed hundreds of bears. So there's so yeah, much surface yeah. area for wild stories, for oh, yeah. things to happen. And, and, I mean, you know. That that makes sense to me how it would influence a culture, you know, uh, and and bear hunters would become these like elite kind of superstar like people inside yeah. of that culture. And a bear was worth a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Do you do you have any idea? I've read a few things, but I want to hear you say. Do you have any idea how much they were worth? Uh, I should, and I and I actually have uh, in one of my books uh, some some numbers. Okay. Uh, but I, but off the top of my head, I, I can't. Well, I probably I can't tell read you. it. Yeah. I probably read it from you, and it's been yeah. years since I read it. But I remember yeah. them saying that a, a a bear hide could be sold for like eight or nine dollars, like a big bear hide. Yeah. With, yeah. And, and 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 this it would be like yeah. mid eighteen hundreds. Yeah. And that uh that an eel of bear oil, which a eel was the the tanned hide of a deer's neck sewn together, yeah. about a gallon and a half or yeah. two gallons. Of bear oil could be sold for, I don't know, four or five dollars, yeah. something like that. Yeah, and then and then the meat could be sold for a certain amount per pound if they could get it back to market. Right. I remember yeah. once doing this ten, twelve years ago. I did a calculation, and it was like you could probably make like fifteen bucks off of a big bear. Yeah, which during that time would have been like making. A ton of money. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was. I, is that in the ballpark? Yeah. You think? Yeah, I think so. I think so. That I mean, that's uh, uh, that's that's what they were in the business for, and that's why in the in the pre Civil War days there were even almost you know factory sized operations set up. Uh, maybe the the biggest one that I came across was right on the Missouri Arkansas border at the mouth of Bear Creek mm. and we can guess how it got its name. Yeah. But they had a they had a it was a, a bear oil rendering plant basically mm. set up there and they would have, you know, and they'd have these big troughs that they would, you know, render the bear oil in and 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 it at one time there were several employees of this thing. Uh, and and of course it was right on White River so they could just float everything down stream to market to new orleans or yeah you know to wherever they're they're going to market with that uh but it was you know it was very much a commercial operation there and there's even a town down below batesville called old trough yeah and uh and it's it's just outside the ozarks just right in the corner of the delta there yeah. right when you go out of the hills and there are a couple of different stories about how the town got its name. The one that I've always gone with, just because it's it's the better uh, the two stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know who really knows at this point. Mm-hmm. But there there were so many of these bear oil rendering plants up in the hill country in the Ozarks, and they mm-hmm. had all these these troughs that they specially made, you know, to hold this uh, bear oil in before they you know put it in more you know permanent right, right. holdings. And at times uh, when in the spring, when the floods would come or the river would get up, it would wash a lot of these troughs downstream and they would they would wash out of the Ozarks. And Old Trough is kind of the first place where White River widens out into this big, muddy bottomland river. Okay. You know, it quits being a, a hill river yeah. and it turns it. And, and this big 
bottomland expanse, these old troughs would wash up on shore down there. And that little community that pops up uh, takes the name old trough from all these old oh, bears. So it bear wasn't because troughs. they made it there. That's, uh, that's, that's the other. That's, that's the I've other. Always... Yeah, that's the other story. Uh, being a, a, a historian of the Ozarks, I've always gone with the one that they're they're washing out of the Ozarks. But uh, but and I'm sure they probably did, uh, did some do, do some industrial work down there at Old Trough too. So either either way, I mean it's the, you know it's the bear industry that that yeah. names that town. Hey, listen to this. You might you might find this interesting. A couple of years ago, a uh, a chef from New Orleans that was writing a book about making gumbo. Uh, boy, I can't remember his name. I mean, I, I, he kind of became an acquaintance. He was writing a, a really legit cookbook about gumbo. And he looked, he just randomly looked on the internet trying to find somebody in Arkansas that was a bear hunter because he wanted bear oil to make a yeah. traditionally, uh, a historic roux for gumbo. And they used to use bear oil. Yeah. He found somewhere in the in the documentation of how they were getting bear oil out of the Ozarks in New Orleans. Yeah, and That's it was great. in a, it was in a recipe like yeah. use bear oil, and so he was like, "Well, where the heck did bear oil come from?" And and anyway, so he contacted me, and and uh, and I had I, I rendered a lot of bear oil All right. and use yeah. it, um, and, uh, yeah, and yeah. so I sent him a pint. Of bear oil. You didn't send it down White River in the Mississippi. <laughs> no, I put it on a steamboat and sent it <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah. No, but I sent it to him. And, uh, and anyway, he, he, he told me the roux was great. He had yeah. some highfalutin chef down there taste it. Mm-hmm. And the guy said that he could, he could taste the wild inside of it, which I, you know, I don't know. That's just well, what he told me. Yeah. They're, they're the experts. So we'll, we'll <laughs> yeah, take their yeah. word for it. Yeah. That, that, and, and yeah, there were, there were, it, there were different uses for that barrel. One of the ones right. that you come across a lot that the the people in the Ozarks would use it for was candles to make, uh, you know, for lighting. Right. Yeah, and they, yeah. they preferred, they they would sometimes use uh, the tallow from from cows, but they preferred, uh, you know. For using, candles, huh? Yeah, they they preferred using a deer or, or bear uh, to make, now, did you know, the, fat. Did, did it actually burn as fuel or was it did they just put the wick inside of some kind of solidified that oil yeah that i that i don't know uh if you know exactly how they did that but i you know i've seen references to to using those and i think there was uh even a factory well there would have been many factories but it seems like i read about a factory in st louis that that used uh, maybe deer and and bear for you know for candle making and, and stuff so okay yeah do you do you have much insight into how Arkansas became known as the bear state like a, like officially like I mean I, I realize it was from all this stuff we're talking about but like was there a time or was there a person that said that that all of a sudden it became legit? yeah I think well I think really the uh, the nickname the bear state and a lot of the legends came more from fictional accounts than they did from actual you know okay. historical accounts because what happens is and it's really just a matter of perfect timing uh in the in the 1830s and 1840s maybe kind of during the real heyday of this bear hunting in Arkansas you also have the rise of a whole new genre of literature uh, this kind of this, you know, this Southern uh, 
well, Southwestern humor. Yeah, I said, yeah, I, I forgot about the the name there. Southwestern humor that comes along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Arkansas is just kind of perfectly placed for this because it's on the frontier. Arkansas becomes a state in 1836, so it, which is right about the time this starts, and so it's the newest of the southern states. It's the least populated. It's probably got the best bear hunting at that time, and there are all kinds of stories already coming out. And so, some of the early uh, writers in the southwestern humor uh, genre start writing stories. C.F.M. Nolan's probably uh, the most famous of, of the writers who who uh, he, he writes about a hunter who lives in the Ozarks. Uh, who uh, Pete Whetstone is his name, and he's mm, he's a hunter, like a fictional very, character. Yeah, so he, he makes him up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, but he's he's I'm sure he's uh, um, Nolan actually lived in Batesville. Okay, and he probably you know used characteristics from from actual yeah, hunters yeah. he knew to to craft this uh, this Whetstone character, and then uh, the, and then uh, even more famous in the early 1840s, there's a there's a a short story written called The Big Bear of Arkansas. And and it becomes maybe the quintessential Southwestern humor short story. Almost all of this was in short story form. And what it was is these were published in what were called sporting newspapers or sporting publications of the day. They were mostly published in New York. And it was... was, uh, wealthy or what we might call middle-class men in New York in the Northeast who are reading these stories uh, right. similar and uh, similar to the, the kind of romantic mindset of say Gersticker, the German early. These yeah. are people who live a more middle-class, more civilized life and are kind of living vicariously through these wild stories of people mm-hmm. in the backwoods and on the frontier. And, and they're usually funny stories uh, and they they become very popular, and this this you know the March twenty seventh, eighteen forty one. Yeah, yeah, eighteen. That's, that's what you say right 1841. here. It's when it, it was in the spirit of the times. The spirit of the times. Yeah. Big Bear of Arkansas. Thomas Bangthorpe's. Yeah, yeah, wrote it. Yeah, and he was uh, he actually wasn't. I think it's the only story he ever wrote uh, based in Arkansas. His. Uh, his story was actually set more in South Arkansas, right and, over and, in the Delta. Yeah, yeah, in the and, swamps. And it's it, it basically it's just the story. It, it's it's made up. It's a story within a story. Yeah, yeah. You know, he encounters this this uh, bear hunter on a steamboat on the Mississippi. The, Mississippi and the bear River. hunter starts telling this sto- story. It's uh, it's in many ways the story itself is kind of a precursor to Moby Dick. It's this this hunter who becomes obsessed. Yeah, with his with his prey, and he becomes obsessed with this big well, he, bear in the backwoods. He's, and- he he wanted to. He was trying to kill a bear that he believed was unkillable. Yeah, it was yeah. a bear that was stealing his hogs. And yeah. this guy's name is Jim Doggett. Jim Doggett. And I guess yeah. Doggett was metaphorical too because he was a dog hunter. Yeah, he, they were pursuing yeah. these bears with dogs. Yeah, I actually quoted this this uh, big bear of Arkansas the other day in something I was writing because. Jim Doggett, and and this is interesting to me because this came from somewhere, like this ideology came from somewhere, and Thomas Bangthorpe wrote it, but he said, so the the story inside the story is this fictional bear hunter mesmerizing a crowd on a riverboat about a bear story that he was telling, and he said when he saw his hounds pursuing this bear from a long distance... He said, I saw him, and wasn't he a beauty? I loved him like a brother. 
I'm pretty sure that's almost the exact quote, yeah. but Jim Doggett said that. So here he is. And again, I'm trying to find like these like peaks back into the origins kind of the type of hunting that we do. And now so much of our hunting, we're saying, man, we're not just bloodthirsty killers. We're actually, we actually love wildlife. Yeah. We actually want to see them thrive. Yeah. And here's this market hunter, presumably, who says, I saw, I saw the bear. And I loved him like a brother. Yeah. And he 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 made a statement that he the bear was just walking up the hill and the dogs were right on his tail. And he said he didn't know if the bear was just lazy or if he didn't care. Uh, and it was like, it, you know, it just painted this picture of yeah. this like mythical creature that could care less that there yeah. were 12 dogs biting on his heels, you know. And uh, anyway, but I, lo- I looked at that and I drew from it that even in the midst of these guys that really misused wildlife resource right. massively, I mean, they right. demised populations of animals all across North America. Yeah. They just didn't know any better. And they still had this deep appreciation, even, even inside of a story like that, that's not even a real story, but Thomas Bangthorpe somehow knew that hunters really valued the animal that they were pursuing. Do you know do you understand yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And I think you know, and I think uh from our modern perspective, uh, you know, we you know, we would we want to think of them, you know, having a certain respect for yeah. the game. Uh, you know, we know that uh that Native Americans, you know, practice a certain respect for the things. Yeah. And I think I think a lot of these hunters uh, had to have gained that at some point. I mean, they, yeah. knowing that the adversaries that these the, these game animals were, and I think they they did uh, have a have a respect for how hard they were to kill and and how resourceful they could be, and how you know how human like sometimes yeah. they could be, and you know, and because these people got got you know, you read so many stories where their encounters were so up close and yeah. so, you know, breath to breath, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. they're, I mean, they're, uh, they're, you know, making contact, physical contact with these animals when they're still yeah. alive in some cases. And uh, so, you know, there has to be a, a certain level of respect, a certain level of fear, yeah. knowing that, you know, that, that I may not be the one that comes out of this yeah. alive. Yeah. Uh, so it's, you know, it's, there's a, you know, there's a different kind of, uh, feeling I, I think that that you get from reading some of these old yeah. encounters of, of bear stories. Yeah, you know they say a Gerstocker, um, he alluded to in his book called Wild Sports that we talked about a little bit ago, mm-hmm. and, and he was this guy that came over for like seven years into the Ozarks and Washtals and hunted. He made mention several times in his book about what he perceived that he, he just kind of nuanced towards it, that the way that we were handling wildlife was not good. It, it, there was a yeah. few, I can't remember the details, but like he alluded to the fact of, and, and what he saw coming was true, which, yeah. you know, by the late 1800s, bear were just pretty much gone out of the, out of the, Ozarks and Washtenaw, or really by yeah. the by the nineteen twenties and thirties is when it really yeah and and really and you're right uh, even even by the late eighteen hundreds uh, it it was rare yeah uh, to to see a bear you know even people who grew up in the Ozarks then uh, it was a rare thing to to see a bear and it it is 
you see a lot of stories of the the you know the wanton destruction of of wildlife and it, it is a sad thing there, there are all kinds of stories and this is the same with with deer you know it was uh, maybe even more destructive with deer it was very common for hunters to kill a deer skin it out and just leave the carcass Take and, the hide, yeah just to I sell mean, it. just you know literally yeah. uh, you know I was I was reading a story the other day I think it was one of those turnbow stories about two guys who had a contest on White River they were uh, they were torch hunting. Uh, mm. They were fire hunting, and they sometimes called it what I guess the you know the nineteenth century equivalent to spotlighting. Yeah. Uh, what we might do today, you know, they were they were shooting at pairs of eyes and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And they they floated down uh, White River and to see which one could kill the most deer at night. And they went back uh, the next day, skinned them out, threw the carcasses in the river, and mm. you just see so many cases of that uh you see cases of, of sometimes the you know uh, cruel treatment of animals uh yeah it's uh, one of the uh, there were lots and lots of uh gray wolves uh timber wolves in in, in the ozarks in in the early days uh throughout much of the 19th century and those early settlers uh would torture those things really, i mean they, they could they, catch they, them yeah there there are stories uh of of people catching them and skinning them alive, huh. of you know cutting the tendons on their on their back legs and then having them fight, you know fight packs of dogs and and, wow. and stuff like that. And even one guy I I read about I I mentioned him in in the first volume of my a history of the Ozarks. Uh, he talked about how bad he felt after after doing this, and he and he said I'm you know I'm I'm never going to do this again, mm. and he didn't. Mm. But it was, you know, part of it, I think, was there was this sort of inherited folklore idea of the wolf. You know, you think about right, all right. the wolves we have and, and the, you know, children's tales and folklore and stuff like yeah, this. They were almost like demonic or something. Yeah, and they had, you know, a lot of this was brought over from Europe. It was just this yes. kind of ancient hatred for wolves. Yeah. And then a lot of it was economic too. Wolves were they were a real threat. They were very destructive to yeah. to to hogs, to to cattle. You know, they're they're pack hunters. They're yeah. they're much more destructive than even uh, you know, a, a cougar, what the what the early settlers called panthers. Yeah. And so so, you know, I think it was that combination of we're saving our livestock and we're getting rid of these these devils, uh, yeah. you know, at the same time. And it was, you know, it was some pretty cruel stuff. You don't see that with bears. You know, you, you don't see that with, well, they, with they bear hunters. predatory on uh-huh. the livestock. Even though I'm, yeah. well, even Jim Doggett's story, that bear was being predatory on a pig, but it was less, it was yeah. less common. Yeah, and even uh, even some of the stories of, of aggressive uh, bears, uh may be as much folklore as they are fact. I, right. The, the, probably the, the most common story that I've come across, and I, I've actually seen two different versions of this. It probably happened once, and then it became yeah. different stories, but it's the story of the uh, uh, the young woman and her children who are, or who are at home. The father of the hunter goes off on this, this long hunt somewhere, and all of a sudden a bear shows up. Mm. And and uh, of course, in the early days, the cabins and you know they could pretty much knock a door down if they wanted to on some yeah. of those things. But the story uh, is that you know the woman lifts has a has a cellar under the punching floor and 
shoves her kids under there, gets under there, just big enough to to hold her and a, and a couple of kids. And the bear comes into the house and scratching around on the punching floor, and finally sniffs them, sniffs them out, and is you know trying to trying to lift up the punchings and get to them when a when a calf balls out uh, out in the mm. backyard. And one story, it's a buffalo calf. That the family has has uh, adopted after like after version. killing yeah, yeah after killing the the mother <laughs> and another story is just you know a regular bovine you know just a regular yeah. a cow's calf, uh, but in both stories the buffalo you know uh, the the bear's ears are perked up by the sound of this this ball of a of a young calf and he goes outside kills the calf and eats the calf. In one story, the hunter shows up while he's still eating the calf okay. and kills the bear. In the other one, the bear eats the the buffalo calf and heads off back into the mm. cane break uh, somewhere and they don't see mm. him anymore. But, uh, but you know, that those stories uh, were passed down for generations as well. And sometimes you don't know if they're just scary animal stories that somebody concocted or if it happened once and, and it was such a good story that yeah. it takes on a different form in every community yeah. that it goes to. And all of a yeah. sudden it, it's happening, you know, at a different time and to a different yeah. family and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Amazing. You know, it's hard for me to envision a, a timber wolf being in the Ozarks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they were here undoubtedly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. uh, Gerstalker's accounts, he talked about panthers, talked about wolves, talked about black bears. Yeah. Um, bison. Yeah. He, he yeah. was hunting woodland, I guess what they'd call woodland bison. And yeah. he, while he yeah. was here, he never killed one. But he found their tracks and hunted them once for yeah. three or four days in the snow. Yeah. And but never found them. But that was one of the main reasons he came to the Ozarks. I think it was the closest bison herds to maybe where he could, you know, from the yeah. east. Yeah. I I, I, yeah, I think that's right. I think that's yeah. that's the farthest east uh, they, time, they ventured, yeah, uh, into the White River Valley. Yeah. 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 In the in the the western Ozarks, they uh where it turns into a little bit of prairie. You know, just yeah. just west of you know Fayetteville and over in that area, they were they would have been pretty uh, pretty common pretty over there, and uh, even even elks. You know, yeah. the, the eastern elk was was uh, very common in the early Ozarks, right. and there's lots of stories yeah. of of uh, the killing of those. The the last one of the uh, the eastern elks uh, reported to have been killed in the Ozarks was in the 1880s. On a place mm. called Elk Creek in in South Central Missouri, mm. and that was kind of the last holdout of of the. It was kind of high country yeah. in there. Uh, it was the begin, you know, the the start of several creeks and rivers that went in different directions in that high plateau country, mm. and uh, and yeah, that was uh, that's where the last uh, elk was ever spotted. A lot they they apparently killed one of a pair there. Mm. And finally, somebody decided, "Hey, that may have not been the best thing in the world to do," and they left the other one alone, I guess, <laughs> until he died. But uh, you know, that's wow. there's a lot of elk lore in yeah. in early Ozarks too, and it's yeah. and from what I understand, the uh, the eastern elks uh, slightly different, maybe even a little bigger than Rocky Mountain elks, which were the ones that were you know, relocated in, in the Ozarks in the Buffalo river Valley and the current river Valley a few years right. ago. Yeah. I'm looking for a, I'm looking for a quote here, uh, that I saw the other day. So, so we've, we've, we've talked about bear hunting and, and I want to keep, we can keep talking about that, but this is particularly 
fascinating to me talking about kind of Ozark culture. Um, who was it? Uh, Randolph. Now this was in the 1900s. Let's see. I think it was a guy named Randolph. Yeah. yeah Vance Randolph. Vance Randolph. Yeah. He, he wrote that the Ozarks were the most backward and deliberately unprogressive region of the United States. Yeah. And he went on to say the resistance of these hills to the penetration of the outside world. Uh, well, that's where the quote ends. Um, it died in the world. Ozarkers are proudly primitive. Their isolation is a religion and their clannishness a virtue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good old Randolph. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I've had I've had several rounds with Randolph. Of course, he's he's been going now for about forty years. So I, oh, really? I I've uh, uh, he uh, Randolph was a he was a folklorist and a professional writer. He actually he actually made his living as a as a writer, oftentimes mm-hmm. as a hack writer. You know, using uh, various made up names and stuff. Oh, but Rand- Randolph was another romantic who was actually from Kansas and had been attracted to the Ozarks because he he loved people who lived on the margins of society. Mm. And he could still find those people in the Ozarks in the 1920s when he when he first mm. moved here mm. and, and into the 1930s. And what Randolph did was obviously he, and he would have told you the same thing, uh, that he wasn't interested in the progressive people of the Ozarks. He knew they were there. Yeah. I mean, he lived in Fayetteville for years. So, I mean, yeah. he, he knew there were people in the Ozarks who lived just like people everywhere else in yes. America. What he was interested in were the Ridge Runners and the Hillbillies. And as he said, the deliberately unprogressive people of the backwoods, that's what drew him He's my there. kind of guy. That's what, Those that's, are the guys I'm yeah, interested that, in. <laughs> and, that, and, and so that's, that's the people he chose to write about. For him, it was very important because they were the bearers of traditions and folk songs and uh, stories that had, for the most part, disappeared in your standard American society, yeah. but in these, you know, the 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 farther back in the backwoods you could get, the more likely you were to find this kind of anachronistic stuff that didn't exist yeah. anywhere in in modern America. And so those were his people, and and certainly uh, they existed. Now, to what percentage? They made up in the Ozarks. You know, you could you could debate that, but uh, but you know, those are the people that he. What's wild that to me is wanted. that yeah. that they're they're still. I still feel like there are people like that. You know, yeah. I mean, like it's funny as we progress through time. I remember when I was a kid, and I think part of my love for the region that I live in is my dad. When I was a little kid, really liked like really rural. Like he was my dad was a banker. Okay, my dad was like a suit and tie wearing banker. Yeah, and on the weekends he was a bow hunter and an off road jeeper and a right. real rural guy. But like, right. But but he would take me to meet these people that were his customers. Wait, you know, down in Mean, Arkansas, and these backwoods guys, yeah. and take me to go show me the bucks that they'd killed. And so I, he romanticized those guys to me. Right. So at that time it was like, man, these are the last of the old timers. Well. I'm 40 years old and I feel like I'm in the same place. Like I, I interviewed an old guy in uh, Northern Franklin County named Ori Lee province. We interviewed him last spring mm-hmm. and, uh, 
he was born in the hollow that he lives in, never worked in town, quote unquote, lived as a logger and grew tomatoes and sold honey. And, and, uh, he died a month after I did the podcast with him. Huh. I, I sent you that. I don't know if you, yeah, it was, I, it was I just a little that. clip. I t- yeah. Anyway, to me, he was exactly that guy. I mean, like yeah. just a pristine man. I mean, really a man, a lot of integrity, but he, he, you know, he knew his grandmother was born in the 1800s and he was raised by his grandmother. It was like, it was really, it felt like you were touching something really old, you know? Yeah. And anyway, so it's that, interesting that this guy back in those days yeah. would have felt the same way and even more so. And here, here's the interesting thing about that. And I think you're exactly right. I think, I think every generation has its, these are the last yeah. moment. And, you can go back uh, at least into the 1800s, just in the United States. I do U.S. history, so that's that's what I read. But but I've come across writings from old timers, say in the 1880s in the Ozarks, who say, "Boy, these young people just don't know what it used to be like." Yeah, yeah. And then a generation later, you know, it's a new set of old timers saying, "Boy, these young people don't remember." So. So the, there's all, the, the, there's this there's a kind of ever replenishing crop of the last of, of their kind, which is a great thing. Yeah, I, it, we what it is is for every generation has its own. These are the last, and for me, I, I'm 50. I turned 50 last year, and for me, most of those these are the last people are gone now and and i'll never i'll never find anyone in my lifetime who matches that again because it was a certain generation it was like kind of that depression era world war ii my grandparents generation yeah, for me yeah. is who that that was they were the old timers when yeah, i was yeah. a kid and they're they're the last of of the breed but for my kids you know it's it's like people, you know, my parents' age, yes, or maybe a little bit older. For their for their kids, it's going to be somebody else. And so, if you live long enough, you'll get to be one of the, so somebody's going to see you as one of the last of the exactly. breed. And 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 I think that's that's a great thing in in rural America that you that you still have these people who are either. Either it's deliberate in some cases, or it's like old Ori. That's just how I've always lived, yeah. and and, he and that's not a show for anybody. Right, I, that's how I'm gonna. That's how I'm gonna be. But there are always gonna be those people who are out of step with modern suburban or metropolitan culture for for whatever reason. When there gets to be the point where there aren't those people, then I you know I don't really know what what kind of you know, world we're living yeah. in, but, uh, but know, it seems like though we're at a unique period in time in history when like, like Ori's generation, you know, he grew he, I think he was born in 1927 and he, he died last year. He was 91. Mm-hmm. There's going to come a time when nobody on the earth was alive when there wasn't electricity. Yeah, that's you, true. You know what I'm saying? That's true. Like yeah. he, he was raised without electricity. He, I mean, he was raised very, similar in technology to what someone in the early 1800s would have been born in, other than they had vehicles and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, his dad uh, hauled lumber out of the mountains using mules. Right. You know, I mean, a very, aside from a telephone and, you know, they did have vehicles. But so there's going to come a time point yeah. 
when that kind of it, it seems like the gap is I'm I'm trying to find the net it would be smaller or bigger. Um, I mean, like we're we're a generation that knew people like that. Yeah, you yeah. know what I'm saying, right? And and definitely electricity and running water and indoor plumbing those are those are major major touchstones in you know modern development that do separate sort of a different yes. age from the modern age just as you know if you read turnbow his stories that he's collecting in the 1890s and early 1900s he's sort of lamenting the fact that a lot of these bear hunts he's talking about there's nobody left around who remembers them. Yeah, he and he was in an thing. age when all of a sudden the 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 real bear hunters were gone. There's not mm-hmm. any more of those. And, mm-hmm. and there are so many of these touchstones through history. Uh, you know, the the la- you know, we're already past the point where the last of the people who were born and raised in a world uh without automobiles. You know, right. I mean they're they're already gone now. And uh I mean it's hard for me to imagine uh, 80 years or, or well it'd be not quite that many years from now but whenever it is where where somebody is an old timer because they're the last of the people who grew up before the smartphone you know that that sort of thing yeah. but but it's it's th- it's these, yeah, you and i'll fit into that category it, right yeah i mean i colby you know i, I, <laughs> I colby I, wants some credit yeah i t- you know i i still i tell my students i I learned to type on a on a manual typewriter. You know, one mm-hmm. of those old timey things. You, you mm-hmm. type and then you slide it across. Yes. There, n- yes. No plug in anywhere. And I had to have been one of the last people. Yeah. On uh, you know in the United States to to do that in in the nineteen eighties. You you would have see. I grew up with a keyboard like that. I'm yeah. ten years younger than you. Yeah, I, n- I never had a computer until well, I had a PhD before I ever had a computer. <laughs> wow. And uh, but a lot of that's just because. You know, I grew up in a really rural place, and and uh, and didn't have any money throughout my nineteen throughout yeah. my twenties. So I, yeah. you know, I uh, but uh, so you know, there there are all those kind of watershed moments that for, you you fall me, on one side or another. For of. me, it's the internet. Like yeah, when yeah. I was like a senior in high school, they brought us into a computer lab and we're like, you guys are going to get email addresses. And I was like, what? Yeah, what I remember that, yeah. my teacher talking to us about the World yeah. Wide Web, yeah. WWW. And it was just like, this yeah. is science fiction. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, that was that was the that was a strange thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah the, the Internet. And uh, yeah, it's and. But but you know you as you as you get older you realize uh, that there uh, and sometimes at some point you know technology is going to outrun you and you're just going to you know my dad used to say that you know for for my grandparents it was TV you know they never really uh, figured that out completely for my dad it's computers <laughs> yeah right for, right for me I I mean I'm uh, you know the uh, the smartphone I I'm pretty much illiterate when it comes okay. to, you know, I go to my kids and, and ask them stuff on a, on a smart, I, I've, I've almost outlived my relevance at, at, at this point, you know, I'm too old. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, that's, it's, and, and these, these are things that, that spark those, you know, that kind of spirit and nostalgia and, mm-hmm. you know, for, for a lost world. And, What's the value you know, in that? I mean, kind of as a sort of bringing this down to a landing, like, I don't know why 
I'm interested in all this stuff, but I soup, I very much so am. And I want my kids to see it. Like, so there's no question to me of what value there is in like living in a place and understanding what happened before, not to try to go back to that. Like, I don't want to go back to that. I'm glad we live where we do now. Uh, But at the same time, and I'm not a recreationist. I mean, like, I don't go around, like, trying to recreate something. Like, some people do that, like, you know, the Civil War recreation. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know, or guys that wear buckskin when they hunt and try to be like the old mountain men. I don't do that. But I'm deeply interested in in hunting and bear hunting and the history of the region that I'm in, almost from just a sense of cultural awareness I think it I think it connects us to our humanity. I think I think the the technology of the world and the fast-paced world we live in is something that humans have never done before. I mean it's a yeah. it's a human experiment. And I think to be connected back to this raw thing that all these other humans did somehow makes us more human. What's what's the value in and you you've devoted your life to history. Yeah. What's the, what's the value in it? Yeah, that's yeah, that's the question. I mean, for for a historian, it's almost it's almost asking, what is it that makes you a historian? What yeah. what is it that yeah. makes you value history? And and I can't tell you uh, exactly what that is. You know, when when the same when people two different people can go, grow up in the same house and one is intensely interested in the past and 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 what it means and all that kind of stuff. The other one, you know, might care less and right. and uh, and and I so I, I don't you know I don't know that's some sort of uh psychological tick or some some sort of illness that they're going to discover one of these days that that makes some of us right. look backward I think uh going back to that that idea of primitivism I I think I think there is a deep spirit of that that runs as I said that runs throughout you know civilized societies and Oh, and a lot of people tap into it at different points of the source uh, at some point, and some of us just immerse ourselves in in that because we're, you know, we're we so want to make contact with the origins, and yeah. and I, th- I, I and and that in and of itself, I don't think is even necessarily a sign of civilized humanity. That's just kind of humanity, okay? Uh, you know, wanting to wanting to uh, make contact with the creator or or the origins of whatever it is, whatever it is that, that makes us human. Uh, and for a lot of people, that becomes, you know, getting back in uh, into nature. It becomes hunting. It becomes doing these uh, most basic of human things that were once done for survival, uh, but are now done, you know, with, a conscious knowledge of, you know, to some degree, you know, we're paying tribute, I guess, to, to unknown ancestors, uh, by doing this stuff. But I, you know, I, uh, I've always been intrigued by that, by that spirit of, of primitivism, whatever causes it and what, whatever form it, it, it takes, because it is such a, it is such a powerful, uh, thing in, in American society. And I think probably in any civilized society. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a, the lyrics to a song 
I don't even know what song it is, but there's there's the lyrics to the song that says, "I wish I was a slave to an age old trade." Have you ever heard that? No. It's like a, and that's the lyrics. He says, "I wish I was a slave to an age old trade," and it's a it's a happy song, so it's like not like a negative thing, but it's like this guy in modern times. Yeah. Looking back, and and he knows you get the sense that he knows that what he's wanting to go back to would be way worse than where he's at now. Right. But it was kind of a powerful lyric, you know. Yeah. And, and I think about like these old bear hunters and these guys that lived in the mountains. Holy smokes, they would have had to have been. I mean, they went through some crazy tough stuff oh, yeah. that was not fun. Yeah, that yeah. what that that was difficult, and 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 I like the way that you, you know we romanticize it big time, mm-hmm. you know, the, the glory of those. I know I do, uh, you know, you kind of cherry pick the good stuff. And, and I like to talk about some of the bad stuff too, just to bring it, bring it home. But, but we live in an interesting time where we have access to all this knowledge. We have access to not only historical knowledge of all these people that have lived in this place before us, but we have access to, biological knowledge and scientific knowledge and i don't know i don't think humans have ever had as much information as we have or for sure they haven't right yeah and so it's i don't know it's just kind of a well and and that probably contributes to it as well it's you know you uh a sort of information overload uh, uh i think what what gersticker would have would have recognized was a feeling of being over civilized yeah of kind of and he felt that in the 1830s yeah and and, you know taking uh taking a part of your humanity away uh by being hyper specialized or over educated or or whatever that whatever that is that that sort of and 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 i think a lot of this too you know if you if you couch it in terms of of men it's it's that idea of of uh kind of taking part of your masculinity away if you if you yeah, if you yeah. kind of succumb to mob, modern suburban society and you yeah. and you you know you're driving a SUV to to work 5 days a week and especially in air a yeah that, and and you know there's just so many things that 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 takes you away from the hardships that you know those frontier people faced that that I think I think you can get to the point where you romanticize that, and I, and I know I've I've many times I've been, and and I have a, a very low stress job, you know, college on a lot of those rankings of the best jobs to have. College professors are sometimes mm. near the top, I and mean, okay. we we don't make a whole lot of money, but there's not a lot of stress, and and you get to set your own schedule and all that kind of stuff. But uh, you know, I'll be in the I'll I'll be pushed with a like a deadline or something for for something I'm writing and I'll be driving down the highway and see some guy bush hogging on the side of the road and think, boy, I wish I could you know, <laughs> wouldn't that be nice yeah. just be out there they're yeah. bush hogging. And that guy's out there cussing the dirt because he doesn't have any money. I, I'm sure he is. <laughs> or he's or he's a professor from somewhere else just yeah, out there yeah, bush hogging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just, just a you know just as a relief. But uh but yeah I I think and uh, you know there is that you know one of the best stories from our childhood the grass is always greener and, yeah. and part of that is just something always looks better until sometimes you get into that something yeah. and then all of a sudden you're more appreciative for for what you came from so i think you know going back to your point of 
having the best of both worlds. Yeah. You know, if you can have that really nice balance where, and, and I, I try to, I, I still live on a farm and I still have <laughs> yeah. uh, cows and, and, and get out and, and that's part You're an of Ozarker. The, that, right. That's part of the reason I do that. It, you know, every, every generation of my family has always done that. And, and part of it's kind of just following in those footsteps. But a lot of it too is just for my own peace of mind. It, it, yeah. it's, it's, uh, good for me to, to have that balance between, you know, town and, and country between yeah. civilized and, you know, just, messing around uh, on the you know out in the out in the woods and stuff like that yeah yeah well hey all this stuff is super interesting um how could uh how could people find your books i mean just they're for sale on amazon yeah so amazon, just look any, up, uh, any of the brooks, online stuff. dr brooks blevins just look up that yeah. and and uh now would the title of this book be arkansas Slash Arkansas with a W. I just call How, it. I just call it Arkansas, Arkansas. But but yeah, okay, that's okay. Uh, so our, the book is titled Arkansas, Arkansas. That's what. Yeah, Arkansas, Arkansas. But it does okay. have a slash there in between the two Arkansas. Yeah. Uh, of course, the I, cover of that book is great too. I like that cover. Yeah, that's that's an old. Uh, I think that came from like an old bumper sticker or something. Yeah, uh, it's got a an Ozark a, hillbilly bumper sticker. It's got a Ozark hillbilly guy with a big beard. He's got a floppy hat on and hound dog and yeah i like i like yeah it's, it's, that's kind of the classic so, image it is uh, it, man you know what we didn't even get into which i wanted to i don't know maybe we'll drive back up here one day is is the is the the ozark the national ozark uh kind of like the southern infer, inferiority complex that we have yeah. from a lot of the media yeah. right that, and when I read some of this stuff, and I'm pretty sure it was from this book. Yeah, there's a chapter on that in there. Yes. I recognize stuff inside of me that yeah. all of a sudden I recognize where it came from. Right. I mean, like like the Elmer Fudd cartoons of the yeah. 50s or 60s or yeah. 40s had, yeah. would have the Ozarks. Right. Yeah, there, yeah there's a, the famous Bugs Bunny cartoon where Bugs Bunny goes to the Ozarks and gets in the middle of a feud. Yeah, and it just makes yeah. us look like idiots. I mean, <laughs> yeah. is that right? Well, yeah, it it it, it does. Uh, of course, as I talk about in the book, uh, there's there are probably if you if you weigh weigh it out in the balance, the the positive romantic side probably outweighs the negative right. uh, side of the of the Ozark hillbilly image or the Arkansas image. Uh, but uh, being the humans that we are, we often dwell on the negative. You know, I mean, we're m- much more likely to remember something bad that somebody does to us than yeah. something good. You know, than ten good things yeah. that they that they do for us. That's just how many of us are made. And uh, but that's one reason I, I I wrote the book is when I got into the research, I realized that you know there's there's a lot of really positive stuff. It's written, yeah. been written about Arkansas and written about the Ozarks. We just we just often don't pay much attention to it because we yeah. uh, we're we're too stuck on all the bad stuff they're well, saying about what, us. What would be some of the just real quickly? Like, what were some of the big media things that were exported that kind of gave Arkansas this negative backwards? Now, today, 
I'm like, hey, let's let's grab that identity and run with it while the world's turning crazy and urban and yeah. we see all these negative, really negative things inside of urban society. You know, maybe the, the image of a backwoods, you know, modern hillbilly is a good thing. Yeah. What well, I mean, you with me? I, well, I think, I think, uh, I think people have already, have already realized that. And, and that's why you have, uh, you have reality shows like Duck Dynasty. Yeah. That's and, a good example. And, and I, I remember I, I, I used to teach a course called, uh, uh, hillbillies and rednecks. Mm. Uh, you went to college at the wrong time. No, you missed I would have <laughs> been in that class, man. <laughs> but but what we would do is we would basically look at you know two hundred or so years of of uh, stereotypes and kind of pop yeah. culture images of these groups. And a few years ago, uh, probably ten years ago, there was this great renaissance of of kind of redneck reality TV. I mean, there was a whole at one yes. time I I had. Uh, it was in the middle of one of these courses I was teaching within the last 10 years. And I had my students count up the number of what we called redneck mm. reality TV show. I think there were 23. Really? I mean, you know, they're, they're moonshiners and yes. And the Alaskan the, ones. Yeah. The, <laughs> they, and then the, the fellers down in the, uh, down in the bio, uh, the, well, the oh the alligator, hunt. yeah, the swamp, alligator, swamp people, swamp people, swamp people. Yeah. Swamp people. Yeah. I mean, there's just all and 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 I think all of that speaks to that 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 idea that as America becomes more and more metropolitan, I think a lot of people like to live vicariously through those people who are still. Yeah. They they may not want to they may not want to move to the swamps or move to the Ozarks or to you know Louisiana or, or whatever. But there's a certain vicarious thrill mm-hmm. seeing these people who are still somewhat authentic. I don't, I, I'm not going to call those reality TV mm-hmm. shows authentic, yeah, but yeah, yeah. but uh, but you know living out in the country and so so I think there's I think there's something to that. Uh, but to answer your question. Uh, yeah, there there have been uh, the old Arkansas Traveler. Uh, there was a popular play in the late nineteenth century called the Arkansas Traveler. Okay, uh, that was uh, that had a uh, it was a musical and it had a this this worldly cosmopolitan traveler would ride into the back country on horseback and he encounters this squatter in front of a log cabin and they have this back and forth and the squatter is uneducated the the travelers you know very educated and they end up uh befriending each other over a fiddle tune and uh Depending on where that play is played, you know, if it's if it's played in Buffalo, New York, it's it's probably making fun of the the backwoods yeah. squatter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, and for years it was there was a little place called the Arkansas Traveler Theater in uh, Hardy, Arkansas. That mm. that it was a dinner theater based around this play, and in that version of the play, it was the squatter who got the best of the story. It's kind of this, you know, this wily squatter who's, who's kind of leading this this yeah. uh, this lost traveler. And but you know that uh, on a slow train through Arkansas was a, a joke mm. book of the early 1900s that was really more uh, racist and anti-Semitic than it was anti uh, hillbilly mm. Mm. but but arkansas was already such a bankable name as just comedy you know already mm. by, by a hundred years ago when you said arkansas 
a lot of people around the rest of the country just automatically thought funny, you know, hillbilly mm. comedy. And so, so it becomes, you know, on a slow train through Arkansas when the book has very, you are know. There, are there other you know, places that are like that? I mean, we're from here, so like we get that. Right. Uh, but I mean, like, do guys in Mississippi say the same thing? Do people in Oklahoma say the same thing? Yeah. I th- well, I think in, I think all of the, Southern states, to some degree or another, can be the butt of a joke. Uh, even Kansas, you know, that's where Cousin Eddie was from. Okay, uh, you know, and and uh, but so you know, More West so Virginia than other places. I'm not trying to feed you to say yeah, that it is, but it's uh, well, part of my argument in that book was that that for some reason Arkansas, what if it wasn't the most made fun of state, it was certainly in the top. Two or three, okay. And if it wasn't the most hillbilly, the, the state most affiliated with kind of a hillbilly image, it was in the top two or three. And one of the things I did, this is very unscientific poll. I'm not a scientist, but I remember uh, doing these Google searches for uh, you know I would type in a, a variety of phrases, uh, you know, hillbilly uh, Arkansas, uh, hillbilly Kentucky, and I and I tested pretty much all the states of the South and the Midwest to try to gauge how often they're associated with the word hillbilly on the mm, net. Okay. Uh, and, and Arkansas, not surprisingly, Arkansas was not, got more hits than any, even than West Virginia. Arkansas mm. was by my very unscientific poll and doing various, you know, versions of this kind of these searches. Uh, Arkansas was the hillbilliest of states as far as the internet is concerned. And we know that the internet is all knowing. So, <laughs> so that seemed proof enough to For me. For some odd reason, I'm really proud right now. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know why. <laughs> I think I was too. Well, I was relieved because I had already written that book Yeah, and I, and, and it would have crushed my soul to have written a book on Arkansas's <laughs> hillbilly image, only to discover that we were like you number were, six. You were like way down <laughs> behind Indiana or oh, something. That would have been embarrassing. Yeah. Jeez. yeah, so that was that was a relief, and and I didn't have to doctor my results. You oh, know, yeah. it, it came out. It's somewhere in a footnote in there. It's very, you know, it's uh, yeah, it's very official. Yeah. It's very, <laughs> yeah, very scientific. Oh, and, man. Yeah. Well, your studies are 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 super interesting and. Uh, Man, I can't thank you enough for having us up here. I've yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah, I appreciate you coming. Yeah, well, um, yeah, we'll stay in touch. And, and like the new book, the new, when will the new books you're writing come out? Uh, the the first two volumes are already out of the okay. of the trilogy. Of History, what are they called? Uh, they're called A History of the Ozarks. And uh, uh, the, yeah, the first two volumes, pre-Civil War, Civil War era out. I'm still writing the third volume and, and uh, should have it out in less than two years from now. Okay. Not near as much bear hunting in that third volume. They're, <laughs> okay. they're pretty much gone until they they're gone. Until yeah. until the late twentieth century. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's a great place to end the podcast because what's so cool about right now to be a bear hunter in Arkansas is that bear bears are increasing every place that they that they currently are that bears have been sighted in every county in arkansas bears are expanding in the southern missouri oklahoma mississippi northern yeah. louisiana i mean like from a, i don't know if you would know this i people on the podcast hear me say this like constantly but you know the the reintroduction and success of the arkansas black bear is is 
the most successful reintroduction of large carnivores in the world. Is that That's what right? biologists say. Oh, I did not know yeah, that. And, and reintroduction being a specific thing, meaning they took wild animals from another place yeah. and put them here for large carnivores. So, I mean, like yeah. what we have is like from a conservation, from a biological perspective, it's like amazing. Yeah. And then, and then for me as a bear hunter in Arkansas, like kind of my story is like when I started really getting interested in bear hunting, like culturally the bear world was kind of zero it's almost like we were we were these bear hunters and we had this rich history that you're yeah. all, all talking about right. and then when the bears died off the hunting culture died yeah and then all of a sudden now it's like we got bears and so this hunting culture is re is 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 re-emerging and so right. that's why i kind of draw some yeah you know want to draw back to that old stuff and be like you know just learn from it but. yeah well that's that's good to hear i i saw uh i saw my first wild bear in arkansas last year mm. about a about a mile and a half from my house i was driving mm. home one day and uh and my wife and kids didn't believe me at all they thought i was mm. they, you know he ran across the road yeah in 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 front of me uh so i so i know you know they're they're uh they're fanning out what county you know, are you in over there in Izard county okay yeah that's yeah. It's pretty far east yeah. Now they uh, down along uh, the river, down along White River, you know, they're they've got uh, more bears in the in the kind of remote hills yeah. and stuff, but yeah. in the part that we live in, it's uh, not quite as hilly and rugged and so that yeah. was that was an unusual sight. But even when I was a kid, uh we had neighbors who who had a farm that they called the Bear Farm, and it was called mm. the Bear Farm because uh they had spotted a a bear on it. I guess around the time when I was a kid, you know, maybe in the seventies or, or huh, something. Huh. Yeah. So that was uh, a big deal back then. Yeah. I, uh, uh, we never saw it, uh, yeah. but, or uh, they did. We, yeah. uh, we didn't see it, but, uh, yeah. but we believed them. Yeah. Uh, unlike my family, not, not <laughs> believing me. So maybe, maybe they'll believe me after this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, again, thank you. And, uh, always close the podcast. By say well, for, do you have any closing comments or thoughts? Anything you wanted to say you didn't get to say? No, I think I've said more than I should have said. Yeah, <laughs> man, it was great. Well, we we always close the podcast by saying keep the wild places wild because that's where the bears live. Yep, <laughs> sounds good. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana. 
They're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.